have hope. And so I just wanna read a few verses from Lamentations chapter three, uh, just kind of to, to remind us of that. And then I will update you on, on some of the prayer requests and then I'll pray for us. But, but listen to Lamentations three, uh, beginning in verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And this is what he recalls to mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. And so the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's true this morning as we gather. His mercies are are new today, July 5th, 2020. His mercies are are new this morning and they're sufficient for you. I mean, so we gather with, with that hope in mind. Uh, but let me, let me just give you some of the, the updates. Um, and so the, the first thing just to know is that Pat um, Packard and, and all of us, we lost Art this week. And so on Friday afternoon, he came home from the hospital knowing he was coming on hot, being released to hospice care. Um, and so they got him home on Friday afternoon and then Friday evening in his sleep, he passed away. Um, and so Art battled and battled. And so it was... Um, it was a relief in some ways because he's not struggling anymore, but um, it's hard. So we need to pray for Pat. We need to pray for uh, their boys, their family. And, and I know many of you knew him well. Um, and so we'll pray. We'll pray in a minute for that. Um, and, and as details as, um, what, as funeral arrangements, as they're made known, we'll, we'll let you know. We'll keep you up to date. Um, the other thing, so another uh, difficult situation is, is Cindy and Hoagie, we'll pray for them. Uh, but it was last Sunday afternoon, their, their son Jason, who he's 41, he was down in Florida, uh, and it was kind of a, a freak accident on a four-wheeler, and he was, he was uh, seriously injured, and he's still in um, uh, the hospital. He's in, in a, a trauma care unit. He is seriously injured. Um, he's, on, he's on the ventilator, they, they, they have him, um, sedated so that he doesn't wake up. There was swelling on the brain that has gone down, but they still, um, they, haven't, they haven't woken him up yet. Um, and it turns out as, as he was admitted to the hospital, kind of the, the procedure they, they have now is they, they test everyone for the virus and he was asymptomatic, but he tested positive. Um, and so they were ready last Monday to, to drive down to Florida and um, the hospital said, if you come down here, there's nothing you can do. You can't see him, you can't get on the floor. Um, which I can't imagine for a mom, kind of what, what that is like. Um, and so we're just praying for Jason. He, he, that each day we, we get a report from him, uh, Cindy and Hoagie and it doesn't seem to be much change. They have done a, a blood test um, because they're, they're just waiting for word from the hospital. Once he has three consecutive negative blood tests to confirm he doesn't have the virus, they'll move him off of the, the, the COVID unit. Um, and so Cindy and Hoagie are, are waiting for that to go, to go see him. So we need to pray um, for his recovery, but also pray for them as, as they're waiting. Um, so th- those are two things po- more positive. So Jean Felberg, it was a scary week for her. She had, um, uh, was it Wednesday, Tuesday afternoon, she was trying to eat. I had talked to her that morning, that afternoon she tried to eat. She couldn't get anything in her stomach. 
Um, she called the, the paramedics. They came, they took her immediately to the hospital. Her stomach had twisted. It was a very serious. It had gotten up behind her lungs and she couldn't eat anything. And they, they said that surgery was necessary else she couldn't eat and she would, she would not survive. And so that was a very uh, serious situation that you know, kind of rose up out of the blue, but, but she had a successful surgery the following day. I talked to her the day of the surgery and then I talked to her again on Friday and she's, she's sore and she's tired, but um, she's doing well. Um, so she's uh, hoping this early this week to, to come home, but, but continue to pray for her and her recovery. Uh, and then the, the last uh, positive news is that Frances Hartman, so she was um, hospital, rehab, hospital again, rehab, and now she's home. And so I just talked to Cindy, her daughter, this morning, and Cindy said that mom is home and they're uh, getting her set up. So um, we can uh, celebrate that. If you want to visit, Cindy said she'd love for you to visit. Um, just give her a call and let her know when you want to come, and, and they would definitely make that possible. And so if you want to let me know, I can get you Cindy's number. Um, and so those are the, and I, and I know, those are, those are just the, the ones that, that, um, that are kind of front and center, but I know there are others. I know many of you have, have things, issues, um, concerns, and so um, I'm going to pray for us for, for these things and, and more. Um, but before I do, I'm going to read from Psalm 33. And so let me read uh, this psalm before, before I pray for us. So here's Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its gear, by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. That was Psalm 33. Let's, let's pray together. Father, our hope is in you. You, uh, you are the one who has created all things. All things have come into being through you, through the agency of your spirit and your creative power. And so we want to trust in you and you alone, we want to hope in you and you alone. And we thank you that, that even today, no matter what's going on around us, that, that we have a confident hope, a secure hope in you. Lord, a, a hope in you can never be 
disturbed. It can never go astray. And so we, we want to focus and fix our gaze upon you and we do want to trust in you. And so Lord, as, as those of our church family are, are in situations and circumstances that are trying, we want to just pray for our brothers and sisters. And so we especially remember Pat Packard, Lord, what a faithful wife she has been, what a faithful servant she's been as she's cared for her husband through uh, these past five years. We thank you for the joy that they've experienced. Um, but Lord, we pray that, that especially now that you'd be near to Pat, comfort her with the, the peace that comes from knowing that, the, that death is not the end for the believer, that there's a hope of resurrection. And so we pray you would comfort Pat. We pray for uh, the sons and the grandkids and, and all the family and friends and, and neighbors. Lord, I, I pray that we would celebrate Art and remember him and give thanks to you for him. And thank you that, that he is with you now. Lord, I wanna pray for Cindy and Hoagie, continue to sustain them, Lord, as they have questions and don't understand why things have happened, when they have happened and how they've happened. Um, Lord, I pray to you that you would give them peace. I pray you'd give them comfort in knowing that you are a, a shepherd to them and that, that you're not um, vin, vindicating or you're not, you're not vindictive in this. Um, and so I pray that their questions would be met with, with, with just a trust in your character, that the things they do know would, would guide them in the midst of, of this. And we pray that you would open a door for them to be able to go soon to see Jason. We do pray for Jason and his continued improvement. We pray that they would be able to wake him up soon today and that, that his blood test would come back and that um, he would be rid of the virus that they might be, be able to see him. Um, Lord, we, we just, we pray for that situation. Lord, we give you thanks for Jean and the way that she has um, changed course uh, in a matter of a two-day period. Um, thank you for the ways that you're at work in, in the surgery and, and in her body. I pray that you'd continue to help her to recover. Um, Lord, thank you for Jean and, and the example she is to so many of us and the friend that she is to us. Um, so thank you for, for meeting her this week. And Lord, Lord we, we pray for Francis. Uh, Lord, thank you for the ways that you've sustained her. Thank you for Francis. We pray that as she goes home and, and begins to adjust, Lord, that you continue to give her strength and confidence in you. And, and Lord, we pray that she'd be able to um, be, begin to enjoy again the things that, that she does enjoy um, in ways of serving others. So we pray for Francis. Now, Lord, I pray for us, this church, your people in the midst of, of discouragement and our own struggle with sin. Lord, I pray you'd be near to us, help us to fight, deliver us from evil, help us. And we're dependent on you, Lord. I pray for other churches in the area. I pray for Liberty and Pastor Grant Etheridge. I pray for Langley Baptist and Pastor David Pace. I pray for Langley Christian Church and Pastor Derek Robinson as, as all these other congregations are, are seeking to navigate ways to encourage their people and to honor you. And so I pray for wisdom for those leaders. Um, I pray that those men would remain faithful to your word and to your gospel. And so I'm thankful that we live in a place where we have multiple gospel preaching, Bible believing churches. And so we pray you'd bless, bless the church, whether it's this particular church or another local church. We pray that you'd bless this, this community, this area with church, um, with church revitalization and growth. Um, Lord, we pray for our nation. Uh, help us as a nation. We give thanks for America and for what this represents to, to so many. Um, so Lord, we do acknowledge that, that we are blessed to, to live here in this time and place. And, and Lord, we also recognize that sin and conflict and issues have always been part of our, our history. And so we ask that you would intervene, that you would give wisdom to our leaders and to our citizens. Um, but Lord, we, we do confess our hope is not in this nation. Uh, our hope is in you. 
And so I pray that, that this nation would, would come to know you, that it would awaken to know you. So I pray that your gospel would spread through this nation, that your kingdom would come here in this nation as it is in heaven, that you would do that through your local church, uh, that the gospel would spread through the ministry of little, seemingly insignificant churches and pastors and Christians um, who have a powerful gospel. So I pray that for our nation. Um, I pray that, that we would remain steadfast, hoping in Christ. And so Lord, we, I, I'm thankful that you are at work in our lives, that you're at work in our church, that you're at work in our nation, that you're at work in this world. And so uh, I want to trust you. And, and I know that, that those of us here who are, who are your people, that, that we want to trust you more. And so I pray you'd help us to do that wherever we are, whatever we're going through. I pray that our trust in you would remain steadfast and would continue to, uh, to grow. Uh, and it's in Christ's name I pray all of these things. Amen. All right, well, um, again, who knows what this coming week brings? Well, we don't know. Um, and so we know that the Lord will, will be with us this week, whatever happens. We know the Lord will, will, will be with us next week as we gather. And so it is, it is never wrong um, to, to hope in him. And so, so that's what I'm trying to do and that's what I want, I want to encourage you to do. Um, well, this week we are, we're finishing our, our final um, segment of this, the spirit transforming God's people. And so if you haven't been with us, this is our, our sixth week in, in the simple title of God transforms his people or the spirit transforms God's people. And so we've been looking at how this Holy Spirit changes us or transforms us. And so um, I, I'm not gonna give you an in-depth summary, but just kind of big picture. The, the first part, we looked at the, the Spirit as the one who transforms us. And so we looked at first, or 2 Corinthians 3, 18, and, and the Spirit transforms us from one degree of glory to another. We're, we're being changed gradually into the image of Christ. Okay, and so we, we looked at that as the work of the Spirit, which means we don't make it without him. We don't grow without the Holy Spirit. We don't even get close to growing without the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who does it. Then we, we looked at part two, how the Spirit does this progressively. And so when you become a Christian, you're not automatically just, just bumped up to the highest level. It is a process, it's progressive. So that every Christian, from start to finish, their life is a process. And so I can say with confidence that, that if you're a Christian here today, you're not where you need to be. You haven't arrived yet. There's still more progress for you to make, but you're not where you once were. And so as Christians, we are gradually growing, but we're continually growing. And then we looked at part three, how God does this and we do this. There, there's two sources. God has to do it, but we have to do it. And, and so we looked at how we exert real, genuine effort, that we discipline ourselves, that we pursue these things, that we play a part, while at the same time, God is the one who does it. He is the one who sanctifies us. In fact, we saw that our work and our effort is only done because he works. That's what gives us hope. As we exert effort, we do so in hope because we know that he's going to work. And then the past two weeks, we looked at kind of our new identity, how as when we become Christians, we're born again, we're new people. And so as new people, as new creations, we have a new identity and our growth, our process of growing involves putting off the old of killing sin of a negative aspect, but also a positive, so keeping in step with the spirit, pursuing righteousness, bearing fruit. And so we looked at the, one week looked at the negative aspect of we, we put off the old, and then we last week looked at the positive of, of putting on or pursuing the new. And so today we come to part six, and we're gonna look specifically at, at the means of growth. 
the means of growth or what God uses practically, specifically to help us grow. And so I wanna show you how we grow. What are the things that God uses? What are the tools in our lives, in your life and my life, that are used by God to change us? Okay, so that's what I, look at, I wanna look at today. And so while it's true that the Spirit is the one who changes us, that he is the means, I'm assuming that, right, we, we covered that already. Hopefully, you know, and believe that the Spirit must do it. But I wanna look at the specific ways he does, specific tools that God uses to change us. Okay, so I'll give you the outline in a second, but here's the, here's the sermon in a sentence. Okay, so if you're, if you're taking notes, maybe you didn't get much sleep last night, write this down, go to sleep, and when you get home, just, just look at this. Okay, so here's the sermon in a sentence. God transforms his people by the Spirit through multiple means. Okay, God transforms his people by the Spirit through multiple means. That's the sermon in a sentence. Now, I'll admit it, it isn't much of a groundbreaking truth. Maybe you're thinking, well, that, that's obvious. I recognize that. However, as we fill this out, I think it will be beneficial for us. I think if we can grasp this truth, it will help us in the long run that God transforms us through multiple means. Okay, so, so here's the outline as we look at the means of growth. We're gonna look at first a pitfall to avoid. Then second, we'll see a process to recognize and then we'll see a path to pursue, so we have the alliteration there, a pitfall to avoid, a process to recognize, then finally a path to pursue. Okay, and so, so let's start there with a pitfall to avoid. Now we start with a pitfall to avoid because as simple as it sounds, right, our, our, main, our main point, as simple as it sounds, it's not uncommon for people to believe that God's means of growth is monolithic or that the, it's singular, right, that's common. Christians, it's not uncommon for Christian growth to be understood in an overly simplistic way. Now, let me give you some examples. And I think as I say this, you'll think, oh yeah, this does happen. Maybe you've done it. But, but, but there are multiple ways, and, and the pitfall is to think there's only one way. And so, for instance, anytime that you counsel another Christian, or you try and encourage a friend, and, and your, your counsel goes something like this, you just have to blank. You just have to fill in the blank. However you fill in that blank, whatever you say afterwards, that statement likely conveys an oversimplified understanding of Christian growth. So you, you just have to what? You just have to trust God. You, you just have to have faith or, or more faith or you, you just have to find a good counselor. I, I know you're struggling. You, you just need to read your Bible more. You, you just need to trust God. Or I know it's hard, but, but you just have to pray more. Or you just have to believe the gospel. You just have to understand your righteousness and your, your justification. You, you just have to let go and let God. That, that'll solve your problems. That, that's what you need. You just have to trust God. You, you just have to get in a small group. You just have to have accountable relationships. You just have to be filled with the spirit. You just have to believe his promises. You just have to believe in yourself. You just have to trust God. You just have to do this or this or this or this. It goes on and on and on. Are all those things bad? No. Now, some of them are. I, I put a few of them in there that are bad. Maybe you can go back and try and figure out what are the bad ones. But most of them are good things, and most of them are helpful means that God has used before. And so the problem clearly isn't the things that were just listed. The problem is that you just have to, or just do this that comes before it. Because when, when we put it in that, in those terms, it's unnecessarily narrowing the means that God uses. 
Now, maybe they do just need to get into a small group. Maybe they do just need to read their Bible more. Maybe they just need to trust God. But maybe the specific way that God desires to change them in that moment at that time isn't one of those ways. And that's the pitfall that we have to avoid. The the means that God uses are various in many. I mean, just think about the ways that God has worked in your life. It's been various ways that that God has has encouraged you in a specific moment or at a specific time. And so when I say that God transforms his people by the spirit through multiple means, that's exactly what I mean. That God transforms his people through multiple means. It's dangerous when we begin thinking that the ways that God has worked in our lives are the way that God works in everyone's life. Scripture and experience both confirm that that's not true. I mean, I, I, I think about examples for me. I, I mean, so, so I, I'm, I love music. I love listening to songs. And so sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll hear a song. And this doesn't have to be a, a, a Christian song, but sometimes I'll hear a song and I'll think, this is the best song that I've ever heard. And I'll be so excited about it. And I'll, I'll play it on repeat and repeat. And then I'll, I'll, I'll tell my wife, hey, you gotta hear this song. And she'll hear the song and she'll say, that's all right. Or, or maybe, maybe you've gotten a, a video on Facebook and you, you can't, it's hilarious and you think it's so funny and, and then you, you play it to someone else and they're like, that's not funny. And so you wanna get frustrated. You say, why don't you understand? Well, the, the, the same principle is similar here. It's dangerous when I begin thinking that God is gonna work in everyone's life the way he does in my life. And so, so for instance, if, you, if you've read a, a great Christian a book at a specific time in your life. I can look back at times in my life when, when I can remember where I was, what was going on in my life when I read a specific book. And I thought, this is the best book. And then I give it to someone else and their response isn't the same. It, though it was life-changing for me because of where I was at that moment, what I was going through it was life-changing for me when I give it to someone else. It's not the same result. Or if I come across a, per, a specific passage in scripture or a Bible verse, my, my circumstances make certain verses just, just come alive and encourage me or, or lyrics of a hymn. And so, so when that, that passage of scripture, that hymn or that verse, when it intersects at my life at exactly the right time, the God-ordained time, it can prove to be powerful. But that's not gonna be the case for everyone because everyone is different and it isn't as powerful for others. And, and I, I I can be tempted to become frustrated because they don't see how good it is, but there's no reason for that because God transforms his people by his spirit through various means. I can thank God for the ways that he uses these things in my life. We ought to give thanks to God when when he uses his word or things like that to to change us, but we can also recognize that that God is not limited to the means that he uses in the lives of other Christians to transform them. And so because no two Christians and no two Christian lives are identical, neither are the means of Christian growth for any two Christians identical. We're not all the same. We all have different areas of growth at different times in our lives, and God uses various means for various purposes in the lives of various people. And so a quote by, by a man named David Pallison, um, who, who actually has a little book that, that, that's titled How Sanctification Works, that, that's greatly influenced me and in my thinking. In fact, you, you'll hear him quoted quite a bit here this morning, but, but listen to how he points to the ministry of Jesus to, to, to explain this or, or to, to, to further um, kind of evidence this, the, the point that I'm making here. He says, quote, it is noteworthy that Jesus never ministers by rote. 
Because people and circumstances are not clones, there is no boilerplate in his conversations, in his friendships, or in his preaching. There's no distilled formula, no abstract generalizations, no just do X sort of advice. Because situations and persons come unscripted, fluid, and unpredictable, Jesus engages each person and situation in a personalized way. It is no truism to say that Jesus really does meet you where you are, always. And scripture does the same, no boilerplate. The Holy Spirit makes words personal. And so, and so we're all different. And, and, and the good news is that God meets us where we are and he uses various means to change us where we are. We must avoid thinking that Christian growth is a one size fits all process. So having established the pitfall or the danger or the hazard of thinking that God only uses one means to change his people, let's, let's look at our second point. Move on to some of the most common means that God does use because though no experience is exactly the same, it would be wrong to assume on the other hand that there are no similarities because maybe an objection is rising in your head. Well, well there are common things that God uses. So, so there is overlap, there are similarities. Um, but, but let's look at be a process to recognize. And so, so in David Pallison in, in his little book, he lays out five factors of sanctification or, or five means of growth. Um, so, so, so I'm gonna mention five things that God tends to use in the lives of his people to change. These are the means of, of growth that, that tend to be at work in all of our lives, regardless of, of our situation or, or um, what we're in need of in that moment. So, so they're, they're, they're general, broad means that God uses. So here's the five. I'll mention them here first, then we'll walk through each of them. God, scripture, others, circumstances, and you. Okay, so the, the, those are the five means. So, so God changes you, scripture changes you, others change you, circumstances change you, and you change you. Right, so, so these are the five factors, the five means of growth. And so I wanna walk through these um, as we go, as we, as we recognize, because as, as we're looking at these, at the very end, we'll see that, that all of these are a process that are all working in unison. So, so they're all at the same time. It's not like, okay, now's my stage in life where, where others are gonna help change me. No, there's not, it's not segregated or it's not broken up in that way. They're all working together to form one process. And that's why I titled this section, A Process to Recognize. And so as we look at these, we're recognizing, okay, God is using all these things together to help us grow. So, so first, God. We start with God. This has made, been made clear, hopefully thus far in this series. God, through the agency of his spirit, he transforms you, he changes you. So, so, so he's the source of your new life, right? That's the most drastic change that, that anyone can go through, raised from death to life. And so if you're a Christian, you have been transformed in, in that ultimate way. You've been made alive with Christ. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and so all Christian growth from start to finish comes from God doing it. And so you ought to recognize that anytime you or I see positive fruit in our lives, anytime there's, there's something that we do that's good, whether we're, we, we've held our tongue or we've pursued an opportunity or we've, we've had a, a faithful season of prayer or we've, 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 we've been able to minister an encouraging word to a struggling friend or we've been able to gently rebuke uh, a brother or sister. Anytime that anything positive happens, any Christian growth it is, it is because God, by his spirit, is changing you, right? So God changes you. That is the fundamental foundational means of growth or change. God changes you. That He's number one 
for a reason. He is the most important means of growth. Okay, so, so God changes you. Second, another important means of growth is scripture. Scripture changes you. Scripture is God's word to us. In scripture, we have the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Scripture gives us all that we need for life and godliness. We don't know how to, how to be saved. We don't know how to live a pleasing life to God apart from scripture. So scripture has been given to us, and it's more than just another book. It's a divinely inspired book. And the Spirit is the one himself who has inspired the, the holy writers of old to record the scriptures. And so, so, so it's, it's, not, it's not strange in this context to recognize that, that the words on the pages of our scriptures, of our Bibles, can actually transform us. It's, it's not Dickens. It's not whoever you like. It's not a normal book. It is God. It has God for its author. And so scripture transforms us. Now, now we have to recognize that scripture doesn't transform us a, apart from God, right? Scripture and God work in, in coordination, but they, they work together in perfect harmony, but scripture changes us, which is why there, there, there may be times in your life when you look back or, or maybe it's yet in the future, but there'll be times when you hear a sermon or, or a particular passage, a sermon on a passage, or, or you read a devotion on a passage, and that word, the truth, speaks powerfully to you and, and you are really changed by it. It is a powerful word. And two specific categories that, that, that we find in scripture that I'll mention here, there's more than this, but two that I think are particularly transformative are our promises and precepts. And so think about promises. Promises are, are foundational to the Christian life and to growth. And so think about, and just think about all that the Bible promises to us in regard to the, to the gospel. So, so think about like Romans 8, 1. There's, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you put your faith in him, there's no condemnation for you. No, no judgment, no wrath, no anger, only grace and love and patience and forbearance, only that because of Christ Jesus, that's a promise. And so when you sin, you don't fear condemnation. You, you turn from your sin because God has forgiven you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or Romans 8, 28, later in that chapter, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's a promise, if, if you're called according to his purpose, if you put your faith in Jesus, you can trust that all things are working together for your good. All things. And all things means all things. And that's a promise. Now, maybe, maybe we should focus on what, what is our definition of good. It doesn't mean everything's gonna go, go well here and now. But it is ultimately for our good that all things are working. Or Acts 2.21 Peter, at his sermon at Pentecost, makes a promise. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. Do you want to be saved? Call on the name of the Lord. That's a promise. Anyone, everyone, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Promise. And so these are foundational promises, and I, I'm sure that you have others, but, but these promises, when heard or read or meditated on, when, when, when they're joined with, with faith, with believing and trusting God, they give encouragement, great encouragement and confidence and hope, and they, and they transform us, they change us. God uses his word, specifically promises. Think about pro promises of, of the Christian life. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 
Here's a promise just for your, your Christian life. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Man, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. First, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That's a promise. You're never gonna be tempted beyond what, what you can bear. And, and with every temptation, God's gonna provide a way of escape. That's a promise. Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Promise, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, present your request. And the promise is, as, as, you, as you release them to God, as you entrust your concerns and you make them known to God, the promise is that his peace is going to guard your hearts and minds. Hebrews 4, here's another one. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us with, then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, promise that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And there's more. I mean, the list could go on and on. I mean, another one, I, I just, uh, the funeral I preached this, this past week, I, I, I spoke on, on John, John 11, the death of Lazarus, and Jesus makes a promise to Martha, to the sister of Lazarus, and he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's a promise. Those who believe in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, though we die, we will live forever. Right, so that's the hope for, for Art right now. Right? His body's dead, but, but he's not dead. There's a resurrection because his faith was in Jesus. And so scripture, they're filled with promises and as we read them, as we encounter them, they're often a means that God uses to change us. So there's promises and they're all over, but, but the, another category is, is precepts or, or commands. Right? God, I, I think, often will use commands or precepts to change us because obeying commands is part of the Christian life. One author writes, it sounds really spiritual to say that God is interested in a relationship, not in rules. Maybe you've heard that before. It sounds really spiritual to say that, but it's not biblical. From top to bottom, the Bible is full of commands. They aren't meant to stifle a relationship with God, but to protect it, to seal it, and to define it. And so yes, God is about a relationship, but he uses rules to guard and protect that relationship. And so I think we're, we're so often afraid of legalism or, or afraid of, of, of teaching a righteousness by works that we tend to go the extreme other direction and abandon any form of law keeping, which is not healthy or biblical, right? First John 2, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We can talk all day about our love for God, but if we don't keep his commandments, we're liars and the truth is not in us. He would say earlier in chapter one of First John. And so commands in scripture are a means of changing us and they do so by regularly reminding us what it looks like to live a life that's pleasing to God. They set before us an example to follow. And so it says, when it says love your neighbor, right? That is a command that we are to obey. And it's not a command to, to suppress us and our humanity and our freedom. It's actually laws and commands are given to show us what true free humanity and humanness looks like. 
commands show us how full humanness operates when walking free. Rather than restricting or prohibiting the Christian life, obedience to God's commands actually frees the Christian and enables true and free Christian living. If you think that freedom comes from no rules, that you're missing the point. The Christian life is a commanded life and that those commands, those guardrails are for our good and they enable us to, to experience true life as it was meant to be. And so as we, count, as we encounter precepts in scripture, we aim to obey and as we do, we are changed. So our obedience to the commands of scripture makes progress, marks progress in the Christian life and they've been given as a means for that end. And so scripture, whether promises or precepts um, or, or we could go on, there's other categories in, of, of um, text in scripture that change us, but, but those are two. Scripture changes us. And so we have God, we have scripture. Third, we have others. Others change us. Godly growth is most frequently mediated through the gifts and graces of brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> Godly growth is most frequently mediated through the gifts and graces of other Christians. This is an easily neglected aspect of Christian growth, but the reality is God uses other people to change you. And most specifically, he uses other people who are in your fellowship within the local church to change you. I mean, this goes back to one of the foundations of the Christian life. You are saved not to live the Christian life alone. You are saved to be part of a body. You are given a role and gifts to function within the context of a body. And not just a universal, generic body, but a local body. And so as a Christian, you are in need of others because you've been placed in a body with others who are complementary members. And the primary place you find the others that God gives to change you is in the local church. One author explains, in reality, the growth of the individual does not take place except in the fellowship of the church, which is, he explains, the fellowship of the spirit. Believers, he says, have never existed as independent units. I mean, this is a Western idea that, that we are saved, it's just me and Jesus and I'm good, but that's not biblical. That's not the biblical idea of the Christian life. As members of a body, you need others and others need you. That's how bodies work. Which is why it's not an exaggeration to say that one of the most unbiblical forms of Christianity is a Christianity that is detached from fellowship in a local church. One of the most unbiblical forms of Christianity is a Christianity that is detached from fellowship in a local church. The Lone Ranger Christian is categorically absent from the New Testament. He or she doesn't exist. Now, now as I said that, I put in a note. I realize that these past four months have been unique and abnormal. Okay, so, so I'm, if you're at home and you're like, oh no, he's, he's upset, I'm not there. That, I'm not saying that. I'm not commenting on our current situation, on the pandemic, but I am saying that, that if your impulse, if that your habit, if your pattern of Christian living is not, does not involve local church fellowship, if you're not actively cultivating relationships with other Christians within your church, I'm saying that you're neglecting your own spiritual growth. You need others. And so it's hindering your own spiritual growth, but even worse, if you're not investing in the life of a local church, you're hindering the growth of others because you have been saved to be a contributing part of a local body. And when you refuse to be part of that body, other members who, who need you are not experiencing the gift and graces that you have been given to extend to them. 
And so others are a means of change. Well, well, how exactly do others change you? Now, there's a lot of ways. A few that I'll mention is, is others change you by, by their example. That's one way. So, so that those, those that are more mature in faith or further along in their journey are able to encourage others by the way that they live their lives. And so example, we, we, we encourage others. We help others change by our examples, whether in work, at our workplaces, whether in our family life, whether it's our spiritual life, whether it's being a neighbor, role models are crucial for the Christian life. We need role models. Every Christian needs role models. And, and not only do you need role models, but, but others need you as role models. And so you are setting an example for others to follow, whether you realize it or not. Whether you want to bear that burden or not, you're going to bear it. You are bearing it. Your kids are seeing how you view the church, how you view the Christian life. They're seeing what, what, what are the expectations of a Christian. Your coworkers are, your neighbors, your spouse, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. They are learning from you what a Christian life is supposed to look like. You're setting an example. And so do they see from you the significance of the local church? Do they see from you the, the significance of relationships within the local church as crucial to your Christian life and growth? Or do they see that participation in a local church is take it or leave it? What example are you setting? And so others change you by example. Second, others change you by loving rebukes. So, so that's another way that, that others change you by, by rebuking you lovingly. There are times in your life when you and I need others to gently and lovingly call us out. We need that. To call us out on, on our blind spots, to, to point out the specks in our eyes or the logs. But we need others to do that because these areas of sin, and we all have them. I say this as one who recognizes that I have areas that I need to grow in. But these areas of sin, these habits or patterns of sin, as they're in my life and they're not being addressed, they are hindering my growth. And so others can speak into my life when they see issues and say, hey, I just want to make you aware of an issue I see or a pattern or a tendency. And I just want you to know that. And by doing so, I then see the issue because I have the spirit too and the spirit will open my eyes to see the issue and then I can address it. If I never know that I have them, that they're there, or if I'm hardened by them, I am being prevented from growing. And there are some things that I will never see if left to myself. That's why God gives me others to see the specks in my eye or logs and to point them out. And so when you're in fellowship with others you rec and you recognize your need for continual growth and the gift that others are in that process, you're able to receive rebuke humbly and sincerely. And so if, if a, another brother or sister rebukes you, recognize that they're trying to help you. Pride is what's gonna make you, well, who do you think you are? You think you're better than me? No, we're all in this together. We all humbly receive and give out and sincerely receive and give out and lovingly receive and give out rebuke and correction when needed. Others encourage you by faithful encouragement. Here's a, the last thing I'll mention in terms of others. By faithful encouragement. We, we need others to remind us of what's true. Right? There are seasons in life, maybe, maybe we're in the fog of, uh, of just unbelief or, or maybe we're just going through a season or, or a specific circumstance. We need others to say, hey, I know it's really hard, but let me remind you of what's true. Let me encourage you, I'm here for you. I'm here to bear your burdens. Let me know how I can help, how I can serve. We, we need others to help us by encouraging, by being faithful encouragers to us. 
God uses his body to encourage, to encourage. That's a good, a good thing maybe to start your day is to say, God, give me, give me another believer to encourage today. If there's a day where, where you have been given an opportunity, have pursued an opportunity to encourage someone, I think you can go to bed feeling I've been faithful today. We all need encouragement. And so God uses others to change us, to transform us, which means that God has placed you in the lives of others for the explicit purpose of changing them. And so you, you ought to be pursuing them, ought to be encouraging them, ought to be trying to set an example for them. You ought to be engaging in their lives. God has placed you in the lives of others for the explicit purpose of changing them. But it also means that God has placed others in your life for the explicit purpose of changing you. It's a two-way street and we all as one body are working together. And so within the body of Christ, relationships are gifts to pursue, not liabilities to avoid. Relationships are gifts to pursue, not liabilities to avoid. Which leads to a fourth, fourth factor besides God himself, besides scripture, besides others. Fourthly, God will often use circumstances in our lives to change us. Circumstances, providential occurrences in our life. Now this is true especially or most specifically when it comes to suffering or, or struggles, hardships, troubles in our lives. Circumstances that we find ourselves in in the midst of that circumstances that we find ourselves in the midst of that we didn't seem to have any control over, right? So sometimes we just say, well, tragedy struck or, or death came or disease has ravaged or accident has happened or uncertainty abound. We, we find ourselves in these circumstances and we say, well, what in the world is going on? Often, these are the things that God intends for our growth and our change. Now we recognize that that in life, in our fallen world, these things do happen. Tragedy, death, disease, accidents, uncertainty. And these things do exist. And, and as we experience them, as you've experienced them, they are difficult, excruciating, and at times unbearable. And that, that's life in this world. But it's in these times, it's as we're in these circumstances that we most clearly see our need of the Lord. These circumstances, these sufferings in our life, these experiences have a way of growing and maturing our faith like few other things. When you recognize, I have nothing else but God, we tend to recognize that God is still enough. The, the reformer Martin Luther explained it this way. He called affliction or, or trial or difficulty, he called it the touchstone, touchstone of Christian experience. He said that hardships were his greatest teacher because they made scripture and prayer come alive. And so as we go through circumstances, they are often meant to, to, to cause us to hope in God, to, to cause us to look to him and see him. And it changes us. It's like the apostle Paul notes in 2 Corinthians 1 that God is the God of all comfort who comforts, comforts us when in our affliction. If we're not afflicted, we don't need comfort. But when we are afflicted, we, we need comfort and we find God as the one who gives it. Pallison writes, people change because something is hard, not because everything goes well. People change because something is hard, not because everything goes well. This is why oftentimes you have Christians in, in other countries that, that are much more mature in their faith because they've learned that, that sometimes faith is all you have, that, that dependence on the Lord is what is necessary at all times. And sometimes in our context, 
We can take things for granted. And we can assume things about, oh yeah, God, God's gonna give me all that I need. God's gonna do this or, and it's gonna look this way when other places, they don't take it for granted and, and their faith tends to be matured quicker because of the circumstances. And foundational to this understanding of how circumstances change us, I should note is the conviction that God is sovereign over our circumstances. If God's not sovereign over our circumstances, then then we can't have hope in the midst of them. But because he is, we can. Now, I recognize this doesn't adequately answer all of our questions as to why certain things happen. And God's sovereignty isn't just a pat answer that, that, that I assume covers all every question mark. That's not the reality. There are still questions. But what it does, because of who God is, because of what we know about him, Knowing his, that he's sovereign over our circumstances enables us to trust him in the midst of our most difficult circumstances, in the midst of our most trying questions. Because what we do know about him helps us view what we don't know or don't understand. We can trust him. I mean, I thought about some of the stories in scripture, the life of, of Joseph and Job and Jonah and Jesus, all of these J names All these men underwent severe trials and they experienced intense suffering, yet through it all, God was with them. He didn't abandon them. He was with them and he sustained them. And through it all, it is clear that he was sovereign over their suffering, the specifics of their suffering. And so our primary focus isn't in the midst of this, why did God allow or why did God cause this or that to happen or not prevent this from happening? Though those are legitimate questions, our primary focus ought to be, he is with me. He's not gonna leave me. He's not gonna forsake me. He hasn't abandoned me. He is with me. That that ought to be our focus in the midst of uncertainty. One of my favorite hymns, in fact, I was just texting with a a friend these lyrics this week, but it's the hymn by, by a man named William Cooper who himself was no stranger to God's uh, bitter providence, if you will. He, he struggled greatly his entire life with, 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 with uh, mental health, with depression, and, and he penned a hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And I just wanna read a couple of these, these courses. Maybe you've heard the hymn before. But, but, but listen to, to how this author, who, who underwent pretty extreme suffering, think of, listen to how he explains God's providence, God's moving in mysterious ways. So, Uh, One of the verses, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Right? So, so judge not the Lord by feeble sense. Right? So, so we, can't, we can't understand everything that God's doing by, by our feeble senses. We, we're man. So says, don't judge him by, the, the, by your feeble senses, but trust him for his grace because behind a frowning providence. So by our feeble senses, a lot of things we go through, it's a frowning providence. And we say, this is bad. But behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. And that's true for the Christian. 
That smiling face doesn't mean things are necessarily gonna get better, that you're gonna know all the answers. That smiling face means that he still loves you. Despite what your circumstances are telling you or screaming at you, the reality is that the, the God loves you and he's with you. The smiling face means that despite all that you've gone through, all that you will go through, the smiling face means that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever, ever, ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus your Lord. That's the reality. Whatever circumstance comes your way, whatever storm you pass through, there is a smiling face because God is for you. God sovereignly and providentially uses circumstances to change us. And I spent all this time talking about suffering or hardship, but, but it goes much, much deeper than that. There's many more circumstances that you're in right now experiencing that God has given to you for the specific purpose of changing you. I mean, it can be said that all of your circumstances in life are, are given by God. Your job situation or your family relationships, your, your disability, your difficult marriage, your challenging children, your depression, whatever, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, in all of them, God is at work and he is transforming you through these circumstances because here's why he cares about you too much to leave you as you are. He's gonna, he's gonna put you in circumstances that, that cause you to grow and to be conformed gradually, progressively into the image of Christ. Now it would be nice, I thought about this, it'd be nice if every difficult circumstance or every difficult relationship came with directions or a syllabus. It's like a new neighbor moves in. It'd be nice if they had like, hey, here's why I'm here. I'm gonna teach you to be really patient. I'm gonna try your patience. I'm gonna blow my leaves in your yard. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw trash over your fence. I, I'm gonna cut down a tree and let, let limbs fall. It'd be nice if we knew, okay, I know how to view this person. I know how to be patient with them. But that's not how it works. We don't have a syllabus. We don't know, okay, okay my marriage is gonna accomplish this in me. In fact, it's probably more true that we don't know more than we do know. We often never know why things happen, why we have circumstances we do. But that's okay because we know God and we know that he's for us and we know that he's at work in us and he's at work in our circumstances. Which leads finally to the fifth factor of change, which is you and me. But for the purpose of the sermon, it's you. You change you. Now this is in the context of, of all these other four factors, namely that, that first God must, must change you but, but the fact that God must change you doesn't negate your responsibility. You must change you. You must change. You must pursue righteousness. You must put sin to death. You must do these things. You repent. You believe. You trust. You seek. You take refuge. You are honest. You remember. You listen. You obey. You fear. You hope. You love. You give thanks. You weep. You confess. You praise. You delight. You walk. You do these things. They don't happen automatically. God doesn't do them for you. And so you change you. You have a responsibility in this process. The spirit doesn't operate like a child with a remote control car. Saying, okay, now you're gonna do this. Now you're gonna do this. He doesn't operate like that apart from you actually working and willing. God changes you, yes, but he does so as you change you. The last quote I think I'll share from Palson, he, he writes, you are 100% responsible and yet you are 100% dependent upon outside help. 
You are 100% responsible and yet you are 100% dependent upon outside help. He writes, listen to this sentence, any other way of putting it makes you either far too independent or far too passive. You are responsible and you are dependent. And so you change you. And so all of these five factors work together in harmony to change you in various ways at various times in different ways. But they all five work together to change us. In fact, I put together a chart. You may not be able to see it, um, but that chart kind of, kind of is an illustration of, of this, this section of how we change. And so see at the bottom there, God changes us. That's the foundation. God changes in the middle, right? We change. But then from the outside is scripture and then circumstances and others. And so all of these are, are constantly working. It's, it's like a, a, a constant flowing river where all five play a part. They're all, they're all flowing at the same time. And so your entire Christian life is a series of variations and permutations of this five-dimensional process. And so there's no one way that God changes us. There's no one path, but we do have one God committed to conforming us, to changing us in a variety of ways. And he uses all of these to help us get there. And so as I close, the last point is simply a path to pursue. A path to pursue. So, so what do we do practically? What are we gonna do? And I'm not gonna give you really practical, specific uh, charges here. I'm just gonna give you big picture. There, there's three things. Recognize God's sovereignty, number one. Recognize your responsibility, number two. And trust and obey, number three. So recognize God's sovereignty. Recognize he is at work. He is over this whole process. He's committed to your change for your good. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you others. He's, he's in control of your circumstances and he's, he's using all these in this process to help you grow. And so he's at work and enables us to pursue scripture and relationships. We do so hopefully. It teaches us to trust God in the midst of circumstances we don't understand because God is sovereign. So we recognize God's sovereignty, but we also recognize our responsibility. We pursue the things that we can. And so maybe some of you, you, you need to stop neglecting reading scripture. Scripture can't change you if you are not constantly interacting with it. Don't neglect reading scripture. Don't neglect pursuing relationships with others. If you're not in relationship with other Christians, you can't be changed by them. Don't neglect gathering with your local church when you feel comfortable. Do what you can, pursue these things. You take your responsibility seriously and you pursue them. And then the last step is you trust and obey. You trust God, he's sovereign, he's at work, and you obey. So I'm gonna do these things. I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna obey. And you do it over and over and over and you trust and obey. It's not like you do it once and then everything's fixed. No, you do it over and over and over. And it's a process and you recognize God is changing me. And so most of the time you, you, don't, you don't feel like you're growing, but, but sometimes you get, you get a, a step back glimpse and you think, wow, I can't believe how much I've changed. God has, God has been so kind to change me in these ways. And he will because he's given us his spirit who is the, the one who is transforming us and he will until we're finished. And so that's our hope. Let me, let me pray as we close.